Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I got a question. I got a question. Don't raise your hands. Don't talk out loud. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't show off. If you know the answer, in the Bible, in the New Testament, who is Mark? Who is Mark? Now, most of you at least know you may not have every book of the Bible memorized. Some of you may have to look down at the tabs in your Bible. Uh, some of you heathens may have to look at the Bible that the person next to you brought. Uh, that was a joke. Come on. Or are we going to have to do some calisthenics this morning? Or uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, we know Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus. We also know at length that Luke was kind of a physician historian, a documenter. And that Luke wrote, uh, that we know of, uh, Luke wrote Luke and Acts, okay? A history. Because he says, I, Luke, wrote this. I mean, that's how we know. But who was Mark? Who was Mark? And it's a little bit more difficult because Mark doesn't say, I'm the one writing this, okay? And in order to figure out who Mark is, you kind of have to read between the lines because there's just like this, boom, boom, and then he's gone, and then boom, boom, and he's gone. But when we look at all the ba-booms, then we can start to piece together just who Mark was. Obviously, Mark wrote the second gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as great as that sounds, he didn't start off very stellar. He didn't start off very stellar. I think he was gung-ho. He was on fire for God. But just like people that flame up like a, like a match during camping season, that thing goes out really quick if things aren't added and it's not tended to and stuff like that. And I, and I think that that is a vast uh, generalization of how Mark started in Acts. Uh, it is said that, you know, the, the, the conversion of Saul into Paul. Saul was a persecutor of the church. The first martyr in the Christian church was a man named Stephen. And uh, Paul, they stoned Stephen. And Paul smiled and held the cloaks of everybody that killed Stephen. Now, he didn't participate in it, but he held their cloaks and urged it on. And then he had the Jewish leaders sign like a writ or a proclamation, and Saul went out and persecuted the church, and then when he's on his way to Damascus, he had a lot of people arrested, some of them were killed, uh, and all of this stuff, and on the way to Damascus, Saul comes face to face with our risen Lord and Savior in some form or fashion where he hears him, and Saul is converted. Now he's Paul. Now we know that Paul, Jesus' ministry was in Israel to the Jews, because that was God's people. That, that's not to talk, and there's, there's examples of him talking to Roman officers. There's examples of him doing things for the Samaritan woman and, you know, all of this. So it's not like he, you know, he just shunned everybody else, but he stayed within Israel. But when Paul comes on the scene after probably, you know, three or four years, the church in Jerusalem decides to send, or the church in Antioch 
lays their hands on Paul and a man named Barnabas. Barnabas. To go out on Paul's first missionary journey. The first place they go is Cyprus. And they took along an assistant, a young man named John Mark. The Bible, depending on which version you read, says, John, who was also called Mark. Some Bibles call him John Mark. You know, your, your Bible may say the gospel of, of John Mark, you know, but for all intents and purposes, we'll just refer to him as Mark. But they go on this first missionary journey. Never happened in the history of the world is God taken out to another people besides the Jews for the express intent of introducing them to Jesus. Well, obviously, Jesus wasn't always here in human form, so that stands to reason. But think about that opportunity. One of three people entrusted with taking the good news to the Gentiles, to to the outsiders, those who are not Jewish, who are not born of the Jewish faith. They go to Cyprus, and when they get back from Cyprus, the the first missionary journey is not over for Paul and Barnabas. But Barnabas' first cousin, who was brought along as an assistant to Paul and Barnabas, a young man named John Mark, quits. He quits. One journey. I want to go on the road with y'all guys. Come on. Let's go gather the lost and bring back those that have strayed away. They go out there and they rope one. I'm done. I quit. Sound familiar? Then... He loses the trust of Paul because Paul and Barnabas, you know, they they continue on and everything. And then later on, Paul says, hey, after they get done with their first missionary journey, Paul says, hey, I think we need to go back and check on all these churches that we started, you know, kind of like the match so that they don't flame up and then die out. Let's go add some wood to the fire. Let's stoke it. You know, let's let the Holy Spirit breathe some air into that thing, get it hot, make sure that they're still burning bright. And Barnabas is like, yeah, let's do it. Come on. Let's take John Mark. Let's take Mark with us. And Paul's like, absolutely not. They go into length about it in the Bible, and we'll talk more about it later. It became such a sticking point that Paul goes one way and Barnabas goes another. He loses the trust of Paul, and because of him, Paul and Barnabas end up splitting. And you think you screwed stuff up. The first real missionaries to the outside world, Mark, because of his actions, split up God's first missionary team. He slowly gains the trust back by never quitting again. He ends up being a great friend of Paul's in, Paul's li- in the last years of Paul's life, and he does such a good job that he ends up being Peter's assistant. He ends up being Peter's assistant. And as a result of being Peter's assistant and hearing these same stories over and over and over from an eyewitness account. And not just Peter, but I mean, you know, James is there for a little while. James is actually the, is the only disciple besides Judas, which we know Judas was a traitor. He's the only disciple that is martyred, that is killed in the New Testament. So James doesn't stick around long. And James is one of, is John's brother, you know, the sons of thunder. James is killed. Uh, But he learns all about this from Paul and Barnabas. Even though they weren't there, they knew the good news. And then he's Peter's assistant. And he's around some of these other disciples and and godly people. And, 
you know, Matthias and, and all these guys that had been with Jesus for a long time, even though they might not have been one of the 12. And he ends up documenting it and writing the gospel of Mark. So what can we learn about finishing after you quit from the life of Mark? What can we learn from the life of Mark about disappointments and really bad mistakes, supposed failures, and then coming back strong from that? What can we learn from the life of Mark? Well, I think the first thing that we can learn is that we can't let discouraging circumstances cause us to quit. When I got my first opportunity in a branding pen, I was always, there, there's two great mistakes in my life that although they, I don't know that I would go back and change them, but maybe I wish it would have been different, was I didn't play tennis or golf or basketball because I was a football guy. Ah, until I had half my pancreas removed and I couldn't play football anymore, but I still see 50-year-olds out there playing tennis, but you don't see 50-year-olds out there playing football, okay? It was kind of the same way with my cowboy. I never could rope, and I think it stems from whenever I was little. I was probably eight years old, and I, at the Pecos Rodeo, they used to have this deal. There's a uh, Western Wear store there called Buster's Barn or Buster's Boots or something like that, and they had like a little kid dummy roping contest, and of course, I was naturally cowboy, which means you have to have an overinflated sense of self-confidence. Okay, that is the number one priority. It's not, you know, can you do this? <laughs> what do you mean, can I do it? You just, I can do anything, right? So I get out there, and I'm fully expecting to win the belt buckle, right? My snot-nosed little four-year-old brother wins a buckle that ended up being on that commercial. You know, the Geico commercial with the guy with the buckle this big? That's what it looked like on my brother. It was a, you know, you, you could have served tuna casserole off of this thing. It's gaudy. It was great. It was in style back then. My little brother wins the five and under roping. I come in dead last. So I was like, I'm not roping. Roping's for sissies. So I rode bucking horses. It was like, you know, the cowboy version of football. Well, I got older and I realized I didn't want to ride bucking horses all my life and I didn't want to flank calves the rest of my life. So I got the opportunity to drag calves with the kids. <laughs> and y'all that's been to a branding, you know, you let the kids go in first usually and cherry pick, you know, the, the little guys and everything. These kids are going in there and whew, picking up two feet, going to the fire. I drug one to the fire. Here's a 23-year-old man with a bunch of kids, seven, eight, 12 years old, and they are spanking my hiney. And I drug one to the fire. I felt like an absolute failure. I wanted to go hide underneath a rock. I wanted to just uncinch my horse, let it down three notches, go load him up in the trailer, and pie ya. You know, what we can learn from the life of Mark is that we can't let discouraging circumstances cause us to quit. You see, when Paul and Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus, it didn't go very well. Nobody had ever done it before. Nobody. There was no precedent. It's kind of like I envisioned the first person that ate a snail. Let's try this. 
Will it kill you? I don't know. Somebody's got to try it. Here, you know, you try it. You know, I get, what about the first person to rope something? Like, I got an idea. See that big yak over there? We're going to make a twine and we're going to tie it to the saddle horn and we're going to rope it. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Let me get my iPhone out and film it. But anything you do for the first time is not going to go very well and it's not going to go as planned. <laughs> That's the only guarantee. It's the only guarantee. Is that anytime you do something for the first time in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to go as you expected. It is not going to meet your expectations. I didn't think I would go in there and just, you know, not miss a loop. I figured I would get more than one. But anything you do for the first time is not going to be very good or go as planned. As a matter of fact, if we look in Acts chapter 13, and you can always remember this because 13 is usually considered, what, a bad number, right? So in Acts 13, Mark has a problem. It didn't go as planned. In Acts chapter 13, it says, there in the town of Salami, that's not what, that's as close as I can get. In the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. There we go. They take off. First missionary journey. Never been done before in the history. That's in verse 5. Now, drop down to verse 13. Eight verses. Eight verses. Paul and his companions left somewhere by ship for somewhere else. They left Paphos by ship for Pampers. <laughs> Landing at the town of Perga. That was pretty easy. There, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. He lasted eight verses. Fired up. Going on the first missionary journey with my, with my primo, Barnabas, and the great Paul, who used to be Saul. Yeah! They go on one gathering. I quit. He leaves the scene. Now, Luke doesn't go into detail. He doesn't say why, but we can infer from the verses in between that it was pretty rank. You know, it's kind of like trying to go gather cattle that's never seen a horse before. It's not easy, and we've done it. And it's probably not somebody that you would want to take somebody. But there was a couple of good hands, so they got it done. It just, you know, they ended up gathering one out of a whole island. When things don't go your way, when things don't go as expected, that doesn't mean you failed. It means it didn't meet your expectations. It doesn't mean it's a failure. Of course it's going to be hard. If you've never roped, you know, a bull, the first time you do it, it's not going to go as well as you expected. It's not going to happen like you thought it would. It's going to be hard. So what can we do when we're discouraged when we don't meet our expectations in trying new things. Well, the first thing I think that we can do is change your expectations, just like Mitch said. Expectations. You know, was I was roping one calf good? It was 100% better than zero. So, <laughs> how much did you improve? 100%. 100%. That's pretty good. It's kind of like Andy told us a story yesterday in our church. The, the difference in his, his uh, daughter and his son is, you know, they both walk up to go out to school and it's raining and it's cold and it's miserable. And his son is like, ah, it's raining again. It's miserable out there. And his daughter is like, looks like a great day for jeans. 
right? I mean, it, it's your expectations. It's your perspective. Was rope in one calf good or bad? I guess it depends on your perspective. Depends on which measurement you're using. I figured it was better than I had ever done before. You know, we can change our expectations when we try something new. Or we can just use it instead of an excuse. We can use it as a springboard to get better. You know what? That is the first and only time in my life that I only drug one calf to the fire. Because I went home that night and built me a little calf dummy. And I roped that thing for three years. Now, that wasn't three years before the next branding. But I roped that thing for three years. And now... I'm not a top hand, but I ain't slouchy either. But I didn't use that first failure, depending on which way you look at it, when it didn't meet my expectations, because my expectations, man, I was, you know, second coming of, you know, Speed Williams or somebody else. Then wrote, I don't know. I don't know anybody. Another thing you can do to avoid being discouraged when trying new things is don't think you know it all. Because whenever I was in that branding pen the first time, I was so focused on what I was doing that I could have been while I was waiting, instead of like, I suck. Instead of being focused on myself, I could have been watching them kids and got a few pointers. I could have asked a question. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Don't think that we know it all. Just because you've watched the video doesn't mean you can start a cult, dummy. Those guys are professional. Look easy. You're going to get kicked in the shin. You're going to get knocked off on your head. You're going to get your thumb cut off. You're going to get your horse hurt. And you don't know everything. Something else that we can do to not let discouraging circumstances cause us to quit is whatever you do, don't quit. And I know that that is very simplistic. Just don't quit. Of course you didn't do very good. Who cares? And you want to know who the only person before today, you want to know who it was that remembered that I only roped one calf? Me. You want to know why? Nobody cared. Nobody cared. We got them all done. As a rancher one time said, a uh, guy walked up to him and said, how many think you drugged to the fire today? He said, we drug them all to the fire. He goes, well, how many did you drug? He said, I had a hand in all of them. He said, you did? He said, yeah, I roped a few. I helped set up a few shots. And for the rest, I just got the heck out of the way. I helped on every single one of them. I was the only one that remembered. Don't quit. Quit. Your solid foundation is made up of an aggregate of failures. Think about that. You know, when you mix concrete, you have a little bit of sand and you have a little bit of rock, pebbles, stuff like that, especially if you're cheap like me and you just go out to the creek bed and get your own stuff instead of buying the quick creek. But, you know, it, it, the, the cement, the powdery stuff, holds all of the rocks together, but it's the rocks that provide the foundation. The cement just ties it all together. And every one of those little pieces of sand and, and little bitty rocks and, and, and other things, man, that, that is the foundation that you're building. You, you can't do it without mistakes. You can't do it without failures. So why would you work that hard, get the cement mixed up, and then leave it in the wheelbarrow? Don't quit. Keep going. Mix you another batch. What can we learn from the life of Mark? Don't let discouraging circumstances cause you to quit. Second thing that we can learn from the life of Mark is don't be surprised when quitting causes problems. You know what? Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody likes a quitter. In Acts chapter 15, we're two chapters over now from 13, 
Starting in verse 37, it says, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since Mark had deserted them in Pampers. And it's not Pampers, I know that, but <laughs> y'all had a picture of him running off in Pampers, didn't you? Had deserted them in Pampers. And had not continued with them in their work. Now, it just said that John Mark left, right? So when I said we have to piece together the life of Mark, it took two and a half chapters later for us to start to get an idea of what happened. Now, we don't know the details, you know, the gory details, but it says right here, but Paul disagreed strongly since Mark had deserted them in Pamela, and he, he, he left them high and dry, okay, and had not continued with them in their work. Can you imagine, Mark? I want to go, I want to go, I want to okay. quit. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody likes a quitter. You know, folks with failure that remain loyal is a breach of trust. There's a couple of illustrations that I've read in the past. One was that he worked at some company and they had got him trained up on how to use the equipment and blah, 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 blah. And he ends up messing up, a, like destroying a $300,000 piece of equipment. And so one of the supervisors was asking the owner, he said, you going to fire him for that? He goes, Lord, no, I've $300,000 invested in him. Yeah, I mean, failures are going to happen, but quitting doesn't have to be. There was another guy with Johnson & Johnson, and it was in the early 1900s because Vicks had come out with their vapor rub. And so Johnson & Johnson wanted to have a chest rub for kids to compete with that. And they were tasked, they tasked this one scientist with, coming up for it, and they spent, I don't know how, a buttload of money. I don't know what a buttload for Johnson & Johnson is, but it was a buttload. They never got it figured out. They never got it figured out. He was called into the executive's offices, you know, figuring he was going to be fired for wasting all their money, and they thanked him for spending all that money. He said, you can't get anything done without trying. And if you say that there's not a way to improve upon that, then we just reckon we invested that there's not another way. Failures doesn't mean that you failed. You only fail when you quit. Nobody likes a quitter. Fail without trying. You can't fail without trying, but you sure can quit without trying. Sure can quit without trying. What can we learn? From? Don't let discouraging circumstances cause you to quit. Don't be surprised when quitting causes others to distrust you. You did it, not them. The third thing is it takes a long time, but you can make up for it if you don't quit again. You've got to wait on a second chance. And it's really cliche, oh, everybody deserves a second chance. <laughs> uh, well, right? you know, if you quit once, why am I going to invest the time in you? Maybe, I'm sorry, maybe this isn't for you. But if it is, if it is, it may take a long time to get that second chance. you got to wait on it, man. You reap what you sow. You quit. Don't be surprised if it takes a while to get a second chance. And the only thing harder than waiting on a second chance is giving someone a second chance. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Timothy was the first and second Timothy, second Timothy predominantly because it was second Timothy, was Paul's last book. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, this is what Paul says. The one that strongly disagreed to the point of splitting up the team, this is what Paul says. Only Luke is with me. Bring, talking to Timothy, because it's 
a letter to Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he is helpful to me in my ministry. And he, it, we, we have no idea how, okay? We don't know how. But here was Timothy's biggest critic in Paul, the guy that writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and he's like, bring Mark with you. Mark had redeemed himself. Mark had been redeemed by Christ. It takes a long time, but you can't make up for it. you got to wait on a second chance, and if you think that's tough, the only thing tougher is being the one to give you a second chance. But if you don't give up and you don't quit again, you'll get your second chance. And finally, what can we learn from the life of Mark? Man, God can use anything. The Bible says that God will things that believe in Christ Jesus. Okay? It doesn't say that God causes all things so that he can use them. It just says even in the worst of circumstances, God can do something with it. Your mistake, your failure, your quitting is not, God's not going to take his hat off, throw it on the ground and go, he screwed everything up. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? All of eternity is jacked up because Kevin sucked. Doesn't happen like that. God can use anything. Think about this. When Paul and Barnabas split, Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. Where there was only two missionaries going together, now there's four missionaries going together in two different people, right? Did God cause Timothy to quit, or Mark to quit? No. But he sure used it for his glory. He's like, well, if that ain't going to work out, we can just make another path here. Barnabas was right in giving Mark a second chance. Paul was right because he said that actions speak louder than words. There's not a right and wrong. We're not here to right and which is wrong. It's right to give somebody a second chance, but it's also right to say, listen, man, we're going to listen. We're not going to listen to your words because anybody can talk big. Can you walk big? Anybody can say, oh, yeah, cowboy. I'm tough cowboy. I want to be there. It's a whole different story when you ain't just talking. God can use anything. Now, instead of two disciples or two missionaries going out, now there's four missionaries going out. And Mark ends up writing the first gospel. He becomes Peter's secretary and writes down what Pete said. I'm not saying that Pete said, write this down. And, you know, I'm not saying that, but being Peter's assistant and being around all the other disciples that were still alive and, and other, uh, you know, there was a bunch of people that traveled with Christ, not just 12 guys. Read the sending out of the 72. And, you know, when they, when they choose the, the people in Acts to distribute the food, one of the qualifications, or when they chose the new disciples, one of the qualifications is you had to be there from the beginning. There was other people that went with Jesus everywhere. They just wasn't part of the 12. And there was, you know, let's see, let me do my math. There was nine of them that wasn't in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. So there, there's layers in this thing. How do we know that Mark is the first gospel written? Because everything about Jesus in Mark is also in Matthew and Luke. Okay? I'm not saying that, you know, Every word is, because there are some differences, but everything about Jesus is found in Matthew and Luke. And Matthew adds other things about Jesus, because he was there firsthand. Maybe Peter was off, you know, doing something, I don't know. And uh, Luke interviewed everybody, so obviously there's going to be some more stuff. John just went on his own, okay? They have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, because they're kind of the same story told from, you know, different points of view. John just, you know, he just wigged out. He's just like, I'm going to write whatever I want to write. His is 
different. It's still the story of Jesus, but it's vastly different than the other three. You know, I find it interesting that the apostle that failed more than anybody else, and that was Peter. Read the Gospels, man. Man, if Pete can step in it, he's going to step in it. But you know what Peter never did? Stepping in it. I find it interesting that the apostle that failed more than any other but never quit ended up helping the guy that failed once and quit, and God used it for his glory. I think that we can all relate to Mark. I think that we can all relate to Mark. You want to know why? Because when I talk about some of this stuff, you know what's easy is to think about how many times so-and-so, that guy that you knew quit, or this other person that quit, or this person that quit. But you know what? Every person listening, whether here or online or on the radio, every person has quit. You know, I think it's a safe bet to say that you've quit reading the good book like you did one time. You've quit knowing or you've quit doing what you know you should be doing. You know what you're supposed to do, and you've quit doing it. You tried for a long time, but it got a little hard, so you went back to your old way of life. You quit. You quit doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. You've quit having the faith that you once had. You've quit having hope. And now subsist on a diet of mediocrity, regret, and shame because you know you quit. See, sometimes you've quit coming, thanks, and it shows. Because, see, the problem with missing church a few times is that you quickly don't miss it anymore. You just kind of, you miss once. Oh, man, I miss church. I got to go back. I didn't listen to the podcast. I didn't watch online. And then you miss again. It's like, gosh, I'll back together. And then you miss again, and you miss again, and you miss again. And before too long, you don't miss it at all. You've quit loving those closest to you the way Jesus loved them, for whatever reason. And you've quit loving Jesus like you once did. And once again, I don't want y'all to ever think that I don't practice what I preach. Because I said you quit reading the good book. You've quit doing what you know you should be doing. You've quit having the faith with what you once had. That was a personal declaration. I wasn't talking to y'all. That was me. But if it happens to me, there's a small chance that maybe some of y'all have gone through the same thing. You quit loving Jesus like you once did. In Revelation 2, 4, Jesus knows it because he says, but I have this one complaint against you. But I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at the first. You don't love me or others like you did at first. See, we've all been guilty of quitting. We've all been guilty of quitting. But just because you've quit, the one person that will give us another chance and give us the first, second chance is Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll ask him for it.